All right, thank you, Brother Aaron, and thank you, Ronnie and Doris. I know there's a limit to how much we can sing in any of these worship services, and I know you wouldn't tolerate the worship going on longer than it should, (laughs) but I just hate to see the song service come to an end. I just love the songs and to sing, and occasionally I will mention this, that we really, if we know the Lord, we really ought to pay attention to what we're singing. We really should. And do you realize what a wonderful blessing that last song we just sung was? That not just to sing the words on a page, but to sing, I love you, Lord. That's what we just did. That's what we just did. And so we ought to pay really close attention to that. It's a wonderful opportunity to worship Him. And not only just to worship Him, but to worship Him together. And uh, this is a unique opportunity that we have. We should not take that for granted. One day, we will all not have any more opportunities to do that. That will come. It will come for us all. And so we don't want to miss that wonderful opportunity. All right, I'd ask that you turn with me this morning to the book of Titus and chapter number 2. Titus and chapter number 2. And I'm going to continue to preach from one single little verse and spreading out to its context. And I bet all of us could quote this verse together. I can. I love it. And here's what it says in verse 14. Talking about Jesus, it says, Who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, I'll tell you right quickly what I've been doing with the verse. Uh, All of you that are gathered here, you already know that, but there may be somebody that's here that hadn't been here for the previous messages from this verse of Scripture. And uh, if you've not been here for a previous message from this verse of Scripture, it means you haven't been here for a long time. Uh, And then always there's a possibility someone is tuned in by way of social media and are listening to the broadcast this morning, maybe for the first time. And so I've been sharing this verse. I'll just briefly give you a couple of things that jumped out to me the very first time I give any thought to it. Number one was it was one of those verses that spans all time from the beginning before the foundation of the world to the end of life as we know it on this earth throughout all eternity in the future. It's all here. One part of this verse is, of course, special to all of us that know the Lord this morning because it says, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity. In other words, meaning to buy us back from that fallen condition and state and by 
giving Himself a ransom to pay for us. And so, that's the first part of it. But then I think the unique thing about the verse is the last part of it where it's from His perspective to purify unto Himself. To purify unto Himself. A willful act of His sovereign grace for Himself. To purify unto Himself. A peculiar people zealous of good works. And so now we've moved to the second part of that verse. The second part. And that is what He's done for Himself. He is going to gather together a people throughout, to be with Him throughout all eternity. And He prayed, I will, in John 17, that they them give, has given me, be with me where I am. And as we look forward to being with Him, I want you to know that the Bible tells us He is anticipating we being with Him also. And Jesus promised His disciples that day, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And so we think about ourselves, And we say, oh, what a wonderful thought. That one day because I'm saved, I'm going to be in heaven. I'll be with the Lord forever and forever and forever. But I want to remind you in this verse of Scripture, we are told that He looks forward to that time when we will be with Him forever and forever and forever. And that's what this verse tells us. That He came to this earth for this purpose. He came to give Himself to die for us and to purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now from here on to the end of this little series from this verse of Scripture, here's where we're going. I'm going to share with you that there are signs, there are marks of His people clearly laid out in the Scriptures. And so this will be the subject matter. And I want you to know this morning probably... All of you that gather here, you know what your relationship with the Lord is. And there's not any doubt in your mind about that. The Lord has made Himself real to you. And you know that He has saved you by His marvelous grace. And you've experienced all of those things that have been promised to you in the Scriptures. But I want you to know there may be some who don't know for sure about that. I have people all the time down through the years that will say, I really don't know for sure if I'm saved. I, don't, I can't guarantee in my own experience that I know the Lord as my personal Savior. I want you to hold on to your pew for the rest of this series because I'm going to point out the clear marks that are laid down not only in this verse, but in its context. It is all laid down for us in this. And there's no reason why a person wouldn't know for sure what his personal relationship with the Lord is. So that's where we're going. And I'm going to include the immediate context of this verse. I've already included uh, the broader context of it because in sharing with you that those things that are mentioned here in the book of Titus are real for the one who knows the Lord, that we have been justified by His grace. We have been washed by regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost as it tells us in chapter 3 and in verse 5. And so, 
that meaning that we're given new life. In other words, when a person is saved, he's raised from the dead. Just pure and simple, raised from the dead. Don't tell me there's no uh, signs or marks of that. I know better. I know better. There are ways that not only we ourselves can know uh, those marks, but the world around us can know those marks too. And so I'm going to be sharing that with you. Now, the more the immediate context, I'll read as the Lord blesses His Word uh, for us today, beginning in verse 11. Verse 11. Our text verse, of course, is verse 14, but you follow me as we begin with verse number 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, our, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the immediate context. The immediate context. Now the question that I've, I have raised in preaching from this verse is what does it mean to purify unto himself? If you have the idea that once I make a profession of faith, then my eternal uh, experience is sealed and it don't matter anymore. In other words, I can just go on back out there and I can lead my life however I choose. And I'm going to go to heaven when I die or when Jesus comes back again. And there, there are people who have the idea it don't really make any difference how I live my life between those periods. From the time I profess my faith in the Lord and the time when I depart this world. That, doesn't, that it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you this morning that I believe firmly and I'm going to show you in this context that the purifying unto Himself is a lifelong experience. A lifelong experience. I'm telling you that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so, I, I know this is true because of what's taught in the Word of God. And then I've known the Lord as my personal Savior for about 57 years of my life. And I know something about what's happened in my experience all along the way. And so, I rejoice in the fact that His grace, once bestowed upon the believer, or bestowed before one becomes a believer, the grace is, that it is constantly active and working in a person's life. So that's what he's saying here. He's introducing, a, well actually I'm going to call it a new phase of an old blessing for mankind. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to call it that this morning. Uh, once... A person has experienced new life, then there is a work that continues on. And you know that one of my favorite verses is in Philippians 1 and verse 6 that promises us that once he has begun a good work in us, guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring it about. He's going to bring it about. You say, you mean the Lord don't give up on me? No, the Lord don't give up on you. Once he starts that work, 
He'll finish it. That's what the Bible says. And that's not the only verse in the Bible that teaches us that. You say, well, what happens if I just neglect my relationship with the Lord? Let's say that I decide I'm going to do what this context says. I'm going to uh, be interested in worldly lusts. This is what I want. This is what I want to achieve. What's going to happen to me once I'm saved and I neglect that marvelous grace that you're preaching about that's going to continue to work? What's going to happen to me? You, you read Hebrews chapter 12. You will become convinced of something. It is the clearest teaching in all of the Bible that once God saves someone, discipline in their life is His way of making them what He wants them to be. You'll discover that. Who is it that is chastised? Who is it that is spanked? Who is it that is disciplined? In Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find out whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Once His love has been bestowed upon us, now don't get this idea the world's got, Lord just loves everybody the same. That's not true. He, if you're saved this morning, He has bestowed a special love on you. And so it says, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Now, I, this, I can give you this as a fact. It's something I've experienced in my walk with Him. I warn you, if you're a child of God this morning and you're neglecting His marvelous, wonderful, and awesome grace, I added awesome, Brother Aaron, to that song, because it is, it is awesome. Uh, once, once that begins to work in your life, you just set it aside and ignore it. If you really are saved, I'm going to tell you, you're going to find out that the Lord won't allow that. You see in our uh, immediate context for our verse, in verse 14 is, the Lord does not allow these things that the grace is teaching us to deny. He doesn't permit it. And by the way, anyone who can ignore His purpose and will for your life and not hear from Him, you better be checking up before you check out. Because you may not be saved. You really may not. Because I can promise you that the Bible talks about this continual grace that's working. So it's a welcomed introduction to something. It's what we find here. Verse 11 says... And the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Well, you might say, well, wasn't the grace of God around all along? It sure was. Go back and start reading in your Bible and you'll read a little ways and then you'll come across this statement that says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I found that one day a long time ago. And you know, everybody here at Emmanuel knows that your preacher loves the grace of God. You know that. I love it. I love to preach on it. I love to think about it. I love to meditate. I love to think about God's wonderful grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Isn't that amazing? 
You know what my favorite verse in that song is? It's through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe this far. And grace will lead me home. I love the subject of God's grace. Now I want to tell you what I think about that. If I had to define it, I could define it in ways that uh, most everybody has heard and maybe thought about. And we think that grace is defined by uh, unmerited favor. Well, we'd be right that it is. It is God's favor bestowed upon us that we have never earned or that we've never merited. We'd be right. There's another one that uses the word grace and says God's riches at Christ's expense. And you'd be exactly right if you define grace in that way. But I want to tell you what's happened to me over the many years of preaching from this Bible, preaching these words. I've come to learn that grace is actually more than that. It is more than that. You know, churches are defined by a little term. Preachers are defined by a little term. And I want you to know around here, this preacher is defined by this little term. I'm a sovereign grace preacher. I am. You say, but preacher, you need to change that because there are some people don't like the doctrine of God's sovereign grace. I understand that fully. I understand the way the world thinks about that. But I want you to know I'm not going to change. I'll not change. I'm going to keep preaching God's absolute sovereignty as long as He gives me a breath and the ability to do so. Because I believe it. I believe so firmly in it. Because if He's not sovereign, if He's not absolutely sovereign, He's not God. That's the truth of the matter. And so, grace, I believe, is more than just favor. It is favor. It is unmerited favor. It is God's favor at Christ's expense. It is all of those things. But it is more than that. This morning, I was sitting, sipping my coffee, and I thought about these little terms, and I wrote them down on a little piece of paper, thinking about the fact that grace is more than these definitions that we hear. That grace, and you hear me use this term all the time, that God's grace is effectual. What does that mean? It means grace then goes beyond that definition and it is something that affects change in our life. And here in our context, we've learned something. That grace is more than favor. Grace is more than riches. Grace is a teacher. Praise God for that. That it's something that works in the believer. That it accomplishes God's purpose and God's plan. It is something at work. At work. You say, preacher, how does that stand as far as the verse that you're preaching from, verse 14? To purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. It is spelled out here in this passage of Scripture. It is something that grace does. I made a mention a while ago 
about grace being bestowed when we believe and corrected myself right quickly and said grace is bestowed before I believed. I wouldn't have believed grace had not been bestowed in my life, in my experience, because it taught me something. It taught me as a young lad that I was in a fallen state, that I was going to go out of this world and give an account for my sin, that there was no way I'd been spend eternity in heaven, I'd have to go to hell because I'm guilty. I'm guilty before Him. That was who, Grace was teaching me that. Grace was working in my life. So I made a little note. I wrote this down. There is a state of grace. A state of grace. A condition of being in God's favor. It's not just God's favor, but it is a condition wherein we are in God's favor. Grace is an enabling power in our life, in our experience. That's, those are just some things that grace is. And I know before you leave today, you've already thought of some other statement that would define it like that. And you're going to say to me before you leave this place, you'll say, preacher, I thought of this about grace. I want you to share it with me. I'll write it on my little yellow piece of paper and put it away somewhere where I can always refer to it. I love the grace of God. I want to tell you this morning, there is no hope for me apart from that. There's none whatsoever apart from the wonderful, amazing grace of God. So I believe this morning, it is a state of being that one enters into. You see, it is bestowed. Grace is bestowed. Is it bestowed because we're good people and we've earned uh, that? Uh, we haven't earned that. I had a preacher, he may listen to this sermon. He's been listening to my messages and I appreciate the fact that he does that. But he had a question to ask me related to some things he's come to know that I believe. And he said, Preacher, don't you think election is way back in eternity past. God knows all things. And He looked ahead to the future and He saw that we would believe or He saw that we would do this. And I said, my brother, that is completely false. And it's false because the verse that I shared with you uh, a week ago, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, it is not by that. I can tell you for sure God didn't look out in the future and see something in you and in me worthy of saving. I know that. And I tell you what, that view of God's election is totally false. See, instead of, instead of it being unconditional election, which that's exactly what it is, they've made it conditional election, and those two words cancel each other out. It's not election if it's conditional. And it's not conditional if it's election. You can mark that down. It's a fact that's taught in the Word of God. So that's a false premise that people believe about the grace of God. So it is a state of being that one enters into. And I want you to know this morning, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, that He has bestowed His grace upon you. But preacher, 
My faith is why I'm saved. No, you're saved by grace through faith. Get it right. By grace through faith. And I want you to know that faith is a grace gift. It is bestowed uh, uh, unto every one of us are given a measure of faith. It's a gift from God. Repentance is a grace gift. He grants repentance, the Bible tells us. I wouldn't have repented. You wouldn't have repented either. And I will tell you something, my friend. If you're here today and you've never professed Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never repented of your sin, you're not going to until grace is bestowed upon you. You won't do it. You say, preacher, how do you know I won't do it? Because the Bible says that. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. You're going to have to be rescued by the power of God's effectual grace working in your life. So, grace is a wonderful thing. We learned last week it was the basis of our justification. In the third chapter of this little book, it says this in the seventh verse. Listen to this. That being justified by His grace... We're made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Why was you justified? What is justification? It is a judicial act of God. You were passive in it. It's a judicial act of God where He pronounces you just. Guiltless. He took away the penalty of your sin. So we're justified by His grace. It is the basis of all the riches that are bestowed upon us in life. Let me point out a verse in Ephesians in chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 2, rather, I'm sorry. Ephesians and chapter number 2. Wonderful statement that's made there. In chapter 2 and in verse number 7, here's what it says. It tells, uh, I'm just going to back up a little bit, but I, uh, you know what two of the most wonderful words in all the Scripture are? They're found in verse 4. First two words of verse 4, but God. Ha! I'm here today <laughs> on account of those words. But God. You say, preacher, what was your condition before that? Well, verse 2 says, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, that's manner of life, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God! That's exactly where I was going. But God, God intervened. Oh, isn't that wonderful thought? But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherein He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, dead in sin, Christ hath He quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. Somebody might say, well, you know I'm saved because I've done something. I'm telling you, you weren't saved because you've done something because the Bible said you were D-E-A-D, dead. That's exactly what the Bible says. You were dead. Oh, there may be people who claim to be able to raise the dead. There have been people who have done that. I've not ever witnessed it. I don't think it's ever happened. 
I don't think no human being has ever done that. There might have been a time or two somewhere way back there where somebody really hadn't died. You know, they were people years and years and years ago. Uh, there was probably some people put... As a matter of fact, they used to, I understand, put somehow or other a string in a casket uh, and a bell up on the top of the ground. So if somebody uh, recovered from their state they were in, they could ring the bell and they'd dig them back out. That actually happened. Because a long time ago, they wasn't real sure. You know, just because you can't detect a heartbeat doesn't mean there's not a little flutter there. And so, dead means dead. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. And spiritually, they don't do it either. That's a condition. And it says, but God who is rich in mercy... And His great love wherein He loved us even when we were dead in sin. Hath He quickened. That word quickened means making alive. Quickened us together with Christ. And by grace are you saved. And listen to this. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful phrase. Heavenly places. You say, preacher, can you describe that? I sure can. That's where He lifts us up in our personal walk with Him and our worship of Him above all of the things that are in the world and of the world. And we have this wonderful experience in Christ. And when you were singing this morning, I love You, Lord, that sense that You had down deep in Your heart and soul, I want to tell you that was a worshipful experience and you were in a heavenly place when that happened. That's what that means. Heavenly place. In uh, chapter 3, or verse 3 of chapter 1 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Lift it up, lift it up. You see, that's what the experience is. And then in verse 7 of chapter 2, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. I'll ask you a simple question this morning. I'm talking about the signs. I'm talking about the marks. The marks of a Christian. The marks. That's what I'm talking about. Have you experienced the riches of His grace? Talking about marks... This is interesting, I think. On Wednesday night, as, I, as most of you know, I teach on subjects that are brought to our attention by those who attend the Bible studies on Wednesday night. And boy, we have some of the most interesting ones. I invite people to tell me, is there something that you are troubled about? Is there a question you can't find the answer to? Is there a passage of Scripture that bothers you? Is there something you really would like to learn to understand? Then you tell me and I'll write it down. And I'll do the best I can as God gives me grace to teach as much as I can about that subject from the Word of God. And you that come on Wednesday night know that the preacher takes advantage of teaching as much as he can on a passage or a subject matter, some of them go for long, long, long periods of time. 
And in our most recent one, the question came up, can we identify a true church? i got news for you. Yes, we can. Because they're marks. And the Lord was gracious enough to teach us through His Word and through history the marks of the true church. I'm on the third one now. The first one was that a true church must believe that He is the founder and head of the church. There is no such thing as a church if He's not the founder and head. I can just already tell you that. I don't care what they may call themselves or whatever. The second one was that a true church uses only the Word of God as its means for our belief and our practice. The Scripture. What we believe and what we practice comes from the Bible. We don't have anything other than that. It comes from the Word of God. And we're on the subject now. I introduced it and I noticed the looks on people's face when I did. It's name. Now people looked at me like, Preacher, I don't think you can teach that. I don't think that is a legitimate mark. But I have led two Wednesday night services on her name. And I'm going to tell you all, everybody that's been present for those two services on Wednesday night understand there really is a name. It's not a name that was taken by her. It was a name that was given to her by her enemies. And so she's come to this modern day with a name. Now if you've got questions about that, you come and ask me and I'll tell you. She does. She has a name. She can be unidentified by her marks. And I'm going to tell you this morning, the person who claims to be a child of God can be identified by certain marks. By certain marks. And so this wonderful mark that we have before us here is grace. So grace is the basis of the riches in life as I just shared. It's also the base of our help in life. Just over a page or two, if you'll flip to chapter 4 of Hebrews, chapter 4 and in the 16th verse. Listen to this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? Grace. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's the throne of grace. You say, but it's the throne of the Lord. You can't separate Him from grace. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Listen. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In our time of need. And we all have it. It also provides strength in our weakness. And I love this. It's also in this book of Hebrews. And I'll turn to the 12th chapter where Paul is talking about that grace. It's not in Hebrews. It's in 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. There's a whole lot of books in the Bible. Easy to get them mixed up. But this is what Paul said. It's the basis of this is when he was 
having so much trouble and he, he was being persecuted. There was a thorn in his flesh. Anybody ever have a thorn in the flesh? And you know I believe about this. It was not a physical condition, but it was a real person. And I know who it was. It was Alexander the coppersmith. And his thorn in the flesh, and he asked the Lord to remove it three times. And the Lord said, I'm not going to remove it. I'm going to do something even better. Listen to me, folks. Have you ever experienced this? I'm going to give you special grace. I'll give you something that will strengthen you. Jesus answered in the ninth verse and said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've been weak. Oh, you all might say, but preacher, I know you. I've shook your hand. You're a stout person. Well, I might have been. I'm not much anymore. I was telling Brother Greg Rose the other day, me and him used to work together. And I said, Greg, I've come to the point where my building days are over. I can't do it anymore. I've got old and decrepit. <laughs> well, that's not the only weakness I've ever experienced. The worst weakness is the weakness that we might have because of experiences we have in our life and it being spiritual. And Jesus said, My grace is sufficient. My strength. You mean the Lord gives us of His strength? Yes, that's what He said. My strength is brought to completion that's made perfect in your weakness. Oh, the testimonies I've heard. The experiences I've had over the years. When I've had the opportunity to be a part of somebody's life and experience, and I know good and well it should devastate them. There's been times I've gone to visit someone and pray a prayer as I go along the road. Lord, help me somehow to help them because I know they're going to be devastated and meet them and find that there's something going on in their life that can't be explained in human terms. That they're able to rejoice in God's providence in their life. And they're strengthened in their weakness. And I knew good and well where it come from. I knew where it come from. And so this wonderful grace. Oh, please hear this today. I'll preach more from this context next week. But hear me please. This grace is a state of being. This grace, the Bible says, and I'll show that to you, is in you. It's just not out there somewhere floating around. It's in you. It leads you. It guides you. It teaches you. God don't permit these things that are listed in our text. And the Bible says that that grace is our teacher and it teaches us. I'll show you that. There's Scripture that bear that out. And so I believe it is a state of being that it empowers believers. That it makes them... You say, Preacher, I sure would love to understand the Bible better. <laughs> I'm going to tell you where that comes from. It comes from your teacher. Now you say, I thought the Holy Spirit was... Well, I'm, I'll, I'll share that with you. 
There are many channels through which God's grace is our teacher. You've just heard one of them this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful, amazing grace. Thank you, O Lord, that we're hopeless and helpless without it. Oh, dear God, if there's anybody here or that's heard this message, Father, maybe you've chosen to speak to. You've chosen to touch their hearts. You've chosen maybe to make them to think about eternity. Maybe they're thinking right now, Lord, I don't want to go out into eternity without you. That's a scary thought to me. Maybe they need to start praying, Lord, bestow your grace upon me. Lead me to see my condition. Lead me to understand what you've done for me. Grant me the grace and repentance that I need, or the faith and repentance that I need to come to you, because I'm helpless and I'm hopeless the way I am. That's how it starts. You say, how does a person pray that prayer? That's exactly what they do. They just pray it straightforward to the Lord. And so maybe you're wanting to ask Him, dear God, that you bestow your grace upon me, because that's you're the one who does that. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And Lord, when you begin to work in a person's life, you humble them. That's one of the things that happens. There is no salvation apart from being humbled before Thee and of a broken and contrite spirit. The Bible's very clear about that. So Father, we thank You for Your grace. And we love to see it work. We rejoice in it in our own experience. But we love to see it work in others too. So bless us with your grace this morning as we close the service and sing this last song. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.